0: Due to the graphic nature of this murder case, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes dramatizations and discussions of murder, rape, and assault. We advise extreme caution for children under 13.
1: Sheriff Don Strepek sat in his office at the Santa Rosa Sheriff's Department. His desk was cluttered with evidence from a recent string of homicides, headshots, crime scene photos, and witness reports.
0: Five girls and young women, all taken in their youth. Four tossed off on the side of the road like garbage, one still missing. Their faces haunted the sheriff's subconscious. Their voices cried out for justice in his nightmares.
1: He desperately wanted to let them rest, but the monster who took them had left nothing behind. All the sheriff had was a broad description of a possible perpetrator.
0: That man could
1: be anywhere. He could be anyone. Then Sheriff Strypek had a dark realization. Maybe his killer wasn't some unknown predator. Maybe he was one of the most well-known serial killers in the world.
0: This is Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories, a Spotify original from ParCast. I'm your host, Carter Roy.
1: And I'm your host, Wendy McKenzie. Every Tuesday, we dive into the world of a real unsolved murder and try to solve the case.
0: You can find episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
1: This is our second episode on the Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Murders. Last week, we witnessed the five killings that scarred a quiet city. This week, we'll cover the desperate theories investigators pursued in the hopes of finding answers. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by State Farm.
2: This episode is brought to you by Been Verified. Help chip away at the uncertainty that comes with online dating and use beenverified.com, a leading platform for online background searches and people search reports. With their powerful search tools and extensive database, you could easily gather information about potential dates, which may help you find peace of mind before taking that next step. You can never be too safe when it comes to dating. Get 20% off today to help take control of your dating game. Visit beenverified.com slash podcast.
0: In December of 1972, the skeletal remains of 13-year-old Yvonne Weber and 12-year-old Maureen Sterling were found just outside Santa Rosa, California. Their discovery marked them as the third and fourth discovered victims of the so-called hitchhiking murders that year.
1: All of the girls and young women had been discarded, without clothing, at the bottom of an embankment beside a country road. And each had long brown hair, parted in the middle. Looking at the similarities, authorities in Santa Rosa came to a grave conclusion. Their streets were plagued by a serial killer.
0: The town was horrified. Serial killers were supposed to stalk big cities like Sacramento or Los Angeles. Even the Zodiac killer
1: stayed near San Francisco at least an hour's drive south. To make matters more frightening, they had very little information about the killer. According to witness descriptions, he was probably a white man with an Afro hairstyle. Beyond that, though, little was certain. One report said he drove a truck, another said he drove a van, and one even claimed he had accomplices helping him kill.
0: The press warned girls and young women to stop hitchhiking until the murderer was caught. But sadly, those warnings weren't enough, especially for those who didn't live in Santa Rosa.
1: On February 6, 1973, Lauren and Rose Davis woke up to what seemed like a normal day. They lived in Anderson, California, a tiny town 182 miles north of Santa Rosa.
0: That morning, their children got ready for school. Their middle daughter, 15-year-old Carolyn Davis, left early around 7 a.m.
1: Lauren and Rose likely thought little of it. They carried on as usual and each went to work. But when they arrived home that night, Carolyn was nowhere to be found.
0: Much like Lori Lee Cursa, another victim of the hitchhiker murderer, Carolyn was a habitual runaway. Once, she'd hitchhiked all the way to Oregon before heading home. Nevertheless, her parents went to the police and reported her missing by 6 p.m. that
1: night. Not too long after, they received an envelope postmarked from Soledad, California three hundred and seventeen miles south of Anderson. The letter was in Carolyn's handwriting, so there was no doubt she had sent it.
2: Dear Mom, by the time you read this, I will be far gone. I probably won't see you for a long time. I realize that I'm hurting you guys a lot, but I have to. Please don't pray for me to come home. Pray that God will keep me safe. The reason I'm leaving is because I've messed up in school, cutting and all and I know the school will send me to the juvenile hall, and I can't take it again. Don't worry too much about me. The only thing I'm gonna be doing is keeping myself alive. I'm not gonna be hitchhiking around the country. I know how dangerous it is. I will be with older grown-ups. I wanna make something out of my life. Love, Carolyn.
0: Even though she claimed she wouldn't hitchhike, her parents knew she was probably lying. She'd talked about hitching rides down to San Diego before, and since her letter came from Soledad, it seems she'd already made it halfway there.
1: Carolyn's parents weren't happy their daughter was putting herself in danger, but there was little they or the police could do to find her. She'd hitchhiked an incredible distance in a very short time, and she could be practically anywhere now. If their daughter ever came home, it would be on her terms.
0: Carolyn traveled for months. She sent postcards to her family, proving she'd made it as far as New Mexico. She was next seen in July of that year in Garberville, California, about 700 miles north of San Diego and 160 miles west of Anderson.
2: Grandma, it's so good to see you! Carolyn! Your parents have been worried sick about you. When do you plan on going home? (laughs) Only when I'm done living, Grandma. I've been all over. And I'll tell you about it if you promise not to take me home. Oh, come on in, then. I'd hate to spoil your fun.
1: Carolyn stayed with her grandmother until July 15th, 1973, when she decided it was time to hit the road again.
0: Around 1.30 that afternoon, she had her grandmother drive her to the post office.
2: Are you sure you'll be safe? Don't worry about me. Besides, I'm only heading down to Modesto. It really isn't that far. That's five more hours with a stranger. Everyone's a stranger until you get to know them. Thanks for the lift. Love you.
1: Carolyn's grandmother left her there that day. She might have been worried, but Carolyn had spent the previous few months hitchhiking and she seemed fine. If her grandmother had forced her to go home, she would just run away again.
0: At some point in the next few days, Carolyn called her older sister Judy, who lived near her grandmother back in Garberville. Judy just had a baby girl, and Carolyn said she wanted to meet her new niece. She started the journey back to Garberville, where some family members waited, excited to see her again.
1: Unfortunately, whatever roads she took ran straight through Santa Rosa.
0: Two weeks later, on July 31st, the setting sun cast a dim light over the city. It was around 8.30 p.m., and a man named Randall Appel felt the wind breeze past his face as he rode his motorcycle down Franz Valley Road, just outside Santa Rosa.
1: But his peaceful joyride was interrupted when an awful stench hit his nose.
0: Randall slammed on the brakes and tried to regain his composure. Then he realized where he was.
1: He'd read all about the hitchhiker murders in the papers, and this was the same embankment where Yvonne Weber and Maureen Sterling's skeletons had been found seven months earlier.
0: He peered over the edge of the road. There, at the bottom, behind a bush, he spotted a naked, putrefied body, It was barely visible in the sun's last rays.
1: Police searched the area the next morning when the remains were easier to see. They found a young girl with shoulder-length light brown hair parted down the middle. The murderer
0: had thrown her from the road and her body had landed behind some shrubs. Previous victims had been rolled down the embankments, meaning the killer had deliberately switched up his methods, but not his dumping ground.
1: By returning to the scene of his latest crime, he was sending a message. He could not be stopped. He wanted the community to be afraid, and it worked.
0: Hoping to get some leads from the terrified public, the police increased funding for their secret tip line from $500 to $2,500. They also brought in a forensic pathologist to try and help them identify their latest victim. I have to tell you, Sheriff... This one's gruesome, she's decomposed pretty badly.
3: Yes, doubt her own mother could recognize her. Can you at least tell what's been done to her though? Well,
0: we can't tell if she's been sexually assaulted, but we do have a cause of death. She'd either been injected or fed strychnine. At low doses, the victim suffers seizures for a full day. Kidneys would fail, body would hurt all over. Truly agonizing. That's horrific. There is a better possibility, though. If she'd had a high dose, her lungs would fail, and she'd be dead within a half an hour. (sighs)
3: Small silver lining, I suppose.
1: The use of poison made one thing very clear the killer's tactics had evolved, and his new method of murder was absolutely terrifying.
0: Justice needed to be done, but detectives had one last thing to learn about the victim.
1: Her name.
0: Coming up, victim number six gets her name back. Hi, it's Carter and I'm very excited to share a special announcement with you. On July 12th, parcast is releasing its first book it's titled cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who join them it's based on the popular cults podcast that my friends greg and vanessa host and starting right now you can pre-order it at parcast.com slash cults with the benefit of years of research and insights This captivating book has put together a comprehensive narrative that tries to make sense of mysterious groups such as Nexium, Heaven's Gate, the Manson Family, and more, exposing how shared beliefs can have deadly results and taking you deeper into the dark side of human nature than ever before. If you're a true crime fan, this book is a must read. So don't wait, there are limited copies available Head to parcast.com slash cults now to pre-order cults inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who join them. That's parcast.com slash cults. And thanks again for supporting Parcast. This episode is
3: brought to you by Etsy. So you need to get an amazing gift. Wait, no. The perfect gift. And it needs to say, I'm a thoughtful person and I appreciate you and I know exactly what you like
0: all at the same time. Well, Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life, like the pickleballer, the jazz fan, or the pasta lover. From 90s nostalgia and mixology to reality TV and gaming, There's something for everyone on Etsy. Whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you, Gift Mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Now back to the story.
1: More than 100 miles north of Santa Rosa, California, Judy Cook read about the discovery of the sixth victim of a deranged serial killer, The description of the body, a 14- to 16-year-old girl with light brown hair, was similar enough to her younger sister, Carolyn Davis, that it gave her pause. At
0: that point, Judy didn't actually believe the person in the article was Carolyn, but Carolyn was supposed to have come home to meet her newborn niece, and she hadn't
1: arrived. Her parents hadn't received a postcard or a phone call from her in days, and they were getting concerned, so to be safe... Judy called the Sonoma County Sheriff's Department.
3: Sheriff Streetbeck speaking. Mm, no, there's no need for you to travel all the way down here. If you can send your sister's dental records, we can rule her out. Sound good?
0: The records were a match for Jane Doe. The Davis family was shattered Carolyn's life had been cut short long before it had even begun.
1: The news shook the city. They could hardly keep their own daughters from hitchhiking, but to learn that girls from out of town could just as easily fall prey to their killer only made things worse.
0: But Sheriff Strypek and his department weren't so nihilistic. It was their job to catch this villain, and they'd finally zeroed in on their first potential suspect.
1: In August... Authorities in Golden, British Columbia, Canada arrested a 27-year-old man named Albert Richard Voorhees. He was six feet tall and weighed 300 pounds. He had just been charged for the recent murder of a man in Sonoma County, California.
0: When investigators looked into his past, they discovered Voorhees was also a lead suspect in three sexually motivated killings in Virginia and Colorado.
1: The police also were able to place Voorhees in Santa Rosa on July 18th, the day Carolyn Davis was likely killed.
0: Given his violent past and his location at the time of the murder, he seemed to fit the bill for Santa Rosa's worst terror. Sergeant Butch Karlstedt flew to Canada to question Voorhees about the hitchhiker murders.
3: Anywhere from Karlstedt on our perp?
1: Voorhees denies involvement through and through.
3: I suppose we shouldn't have expected anything else. Keep looking for anything that might tie him to our murders. What if he's telling the truth? I'm not saying ignore all other possibilities. I'm just saying it's not often a predator like him comes to our town. It's hard
1: to believe it's coincidental. Good point, sir. We'll see what we can find. Detectives spent the next several months looking into Voorhees and any more tips they could find. Yet for all their searching, nothing could directly tie Voorhees to the killings. To make matters worse, none of the tips they received led to any other plausible suspects.
0: The police were left in limbo, and Santa Rosa was left in fear.
1: As Christmas approached, a grim atmosphere fell over the town. It was difficult to celebrate when people knew a killer stalked their streets.
0: But far to the south a group of friends were ringing in the winter holiday on the golden beaches of Malibu.
1: 23-year-old Teresa Walsh was enjoying the sunshine. She lived far to the north and had traveled to visit some childhood friends who had moved to the area.
0: When the vacation wound to a close, she planned to hitchhike back to her family home in Miranda, a town less than 10 miles from Garberville, the town where Carolyn Davis had stayed with her grandmother.
1: Teresa's parents lived near there, and her husband and son were going to meet her at their house on Christmas Day. The entire extended family was going to be together, and Teresa had no intention of missing it.
0: On December 22nd, she brushed her long brown hair, which she kept parted down the middle, and tied it back into a ponytail. She said goodbye to her friends and hitched a ride north. She believed she could get to Miranda by the end of the day.
1: But three days later, as the sun rose on Christmas morning, Teresa was nowhere to be found. Her family knew she would never miss their holiday. She'd even told them about the presents she'd bought her two-year-old son. Something must have gone terribly wrong.
0: Teresa's family filed an official missing persons report with the police, Unfortunately, she could have been anywhere between Malibu and Miranda, about a 600-mile stretch. Police had no idea where to look.
1: Then, on December 28th, two teenage boys were kayaking down Mark West Creek, a popular whitewater area just outside of Santa Rosa. As they flowed downstream, they noticed something bobbing up and down in the water, far ahead of them.
0: As they floated closer, the boys were overwhelmed with the putrid smell of death. They'd come across the dead body of a woman partially stuck beneath a log.
1: The boys raced to the police and officers arrived on the scene that day. With great effort and a series of ropes, authorities pulled the body out of the river. The sight shocked even the most hardened detectives.
0: The woman's body had been bound with an intricate series of thin ropes. Her thumbs were tied together and her arms were locked in front of her chest. A noose wrapped around her neck and was connected to a rope that kept her legs bound behind her back. If she'd tried to struggle free, it would have only tightened the noose, forcing her to suffocate herself.
1: An autopsy determined the woman had in fact died by strangulation. She'd also been beaten and raped by her captors. The man, or men, who killed her, turned her final moments into pure torture.
0: The coroner also believed she'd likely been dead for about a week, and she could have been discarded into the creek anywhere upstream. The waters had been unusually high that week, so the body would have been carried for miles.
1: Police put out a public plea for information regarding the woman's identity or death. They increased the anonymous tip reward from $2,500 to $9,500, a move that showed how much they wanted to catch the killer.
0: While they waited for information, the police cross-referenced the latest victim with all missing persons reports in the state. It took two weeks, but eventually, they found a match for the victim's fingerprints in the DMV database.
1: It was none other than 23-year-old Teresa Walsh.
0: Officers spoke with their family and friends and determined she'd likely been killed while hitchhiking on December 22nd. This put the police in a very difficult position.
1: Their only suspect, Albert Voorhees, couldn't have committed the murder. He was in prison. And since he didn't kill Teresa Walsh, it stood to reason that he hadn't killed any of the other victims either. The Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Killer was still on the loose, waiting to strike again.
0: The city was petrified, and the Sheriff's Department was desperate to find an answer to their mystery. As months passed, they investigated over 300 suspects based on anonymous tips and contemporary media reports.
1: Following advice from developments in criminal psychology, the Sheriff's Department hired psychiatrists to help them create a profile of their killer.
0: In April of 1975, the Sheriff's Department presented their findings to the public.
1: Fair
3: people of Sonoma County, we at the Sheriff's Department have been working tirelessly to track down the monster who has been massacring our daughters, sisters, and friends. Based on the available evidence, we think we have a good idea who this killer might be. This man is a loner, with nothing more than a high school education His father is a passive man, while his mother is dominant and overbearing. It seems likely that he hates his mother, and that hatred is boiled over. His victims pay the price for the disdain he has for her. He's likely in his early thirties. When he was a child, his pets became his first victims, as he would strangle or poison them for fun. He likely picks up hitchhikers quite often, but only kills those he dislikes the most. He will probably kill again.
2: Sheriff. That's all well and good, but you said you think you know the killer. Do you have a name, or just psychobabble speculation?
3: We have a name. Just not one anybody wants to hear. I think it could definitely be the Zodiac Killer.
1: Coming up, Streepik explains his shocking declaration. And now, back to our story. In 1975,
0: Sheriff Don Strepek theorized the Zodiac Killer might have murdered six girls and young women whose bodies were discovered in Santa Rosa, California. During his most notorious spree in San Francisco, the Zodiac killed both men and women indiscriminately and often deliberately posed the bodies. He wrote letters to the police, mocking their stupidity, claiming they would never catch him.
1: After his first five murders, the Zodiac said that he would vary his method of killing, so police could no longer connect the deaths by following his M.O. Eventually, he claimed to have killed 37 people, even though only five victims were confirmed.
0: The Zodiac loved to toy with people's emotions and terrorize the public, He made a habit of taunting law enforcement and Strepek believed that matched the Santa Rosa hitchhiker killer's behavior.
1: For example, the murderer had discarded Carolyn Davis in the same spot as Yvonne Weber and Maureen Sterling. It was a clear message that he'd been watching the papers and thought he was in control of the situation.
0: Strepek went on to explain more potential connections. Additionally,
1: we are only an hour or
3: so drive away from the Bay Area, and the site of the Zodiac's confirmed killings. He said it would vary his M.O., so it makes perfect sense that he would make these killings look like the work of another serial killer entirely. Finally, there is one piece of information we've kept hidden from the public until now. When we found Carolyn Davis's body, we also found a strange symbol made out of twigs assembled on the road. It was shaped like two rectangles connected by a single twig in the middle. After some research, We found that it's actually an ancient symbol in English witchcraft. The symbol was used in death rituals meant to hurry spirits on to the afterlife. The Zodiac claimed in his letters that he killed to make his victims his slaves in paradise. One could theorize that this symbol was placed there for that same purpose.
2: This is all fascinating speculation, Sheriff, but do you have any concrete evidence to support your claims?
3: Sergeant Butch Carlstedt has done great work coordinating with law enforcement in other areas that have dealt with similar murders. As we all know, the last known hitchhiker murder occurred one year ago, but soon after they stopped here, women were being killed in a comparable fashion in Seattle, Washington. When those murders stopped, similar murders started in Salt Lake City. Then the same thing happened in Colorado.
2: Right. But again, what does that have to do with the Zodiac?
3: When you connect the dots of the Slayings on the map, it forms a giant letter Z. That's... that's it? That's all we have at the moment, yes.
1: During the presentation, Strypek and his team thought they'd stumbled across a real possibility. But to most people watching, it seemed like they were grasping at straws.
0: It was almost as if the police had gotten so desperate they tried to come up with any explanation for why they hadn't caught the killer. After all, if the Zodiac had killed their hitchhikers, how could they possibly be expected to catch him after Metropolitan Police forces had
1: failed? With this implication in the air, the Zodiac experts in San Francisco felt it necessary to comment on the theory. Homicide Inspector William Armstrong said,
0: It's a theory, pure and simple. While we can't discard it totally, we do not see any striking similarities with our cases here. Detectives in Salt Lake had a similar opinion. They thought it was possible their local victims had been murdered by the hitchhiker killer, but they had no reason to think the Zodiac was involved.
1: When detectives in Colorado heard the Santa Rosa Sheriff's theory, They dismissed it offhand. They'd never even heard of the Zodiac.
0: Similarly, detectives in Seattle didn't agree with Karlstedt's analysis. They thought their unsolved murders had nothing to do with the Santa Rosa killings, Zodiac or otherwise.
1: It seemed Stripek's theory was tenuous at best. A few articles were written about it, but in the end, it would never be proven and could easily be ignored. To most people around the nation, the Santa Rosa Sheriff's Department had simply failed to name their killer. Still, the
0: case remained open. Sergeant Carl Stet continued to spearhead the investigation, though years passed without any new leads.
1: During that time, no more bodies were found. The police began to think the murderer had slunk back into the shadows, until a killer who had prowled the entire country thrust the case back into the spotlight.
0: On April 27, 1979, Ted Bundy was identified and captured. He had murdered dozens of victims, and he often preyed on girls and young women with long brown hair parted down the middle.
1: The more investigators looked into Bundy, the more promising he became as a potential suspect. He had killed all over the country, had spent some time in Santa Rosa, and worked only a few hours away in Oregon.
0: He preferred to strangle his victims, and he sexually assaulted their bodies after they were dead. Sometimes he would even tie them up, and when his hair was long, one might describe it as an afro if they saw him from a distance.
1: The similarities were impossible to deny. For a moment, the Santa Rosa Sheriff's Department... Thought they finally had their man.
0: Until they looked a little closer.
1: While Bundy strangled his victims, he almost always bludgeoned them in the back of the head first. Only one of the Santa Rosa hitchhiker victims had been bludgeoned, 23-year-old Teresa Walsh.
0: Bundy was also a necrophile, and he typically violated his victims after he killed them. All of the Santa Rosa hitchhiker victims who had been raped had been assaulted before they were killed.
1: The final nail in the coffin came when investigators actually tracked Bundy's movements. His credit card purchases placed him in Washington state at the time of the Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders.
0: That meant Ted Bundy was not their killer.
1: Just like with the Zodiac, blaming Ted Bundy simply highlighted law enforcement's desperation years without answers had pushed the city of santa rosa into a corner
0: it seemed like they might never move on the killings scarred them and the town's only solace was that they had eventually stopped but the wounds were about to reopen there was one last victim they needed to find
1: on july 2nd 1979 Six years after Teresa Walsh was murdered, a couple of hikers found themselves walking in a steep ravine just off Calistoga Road. It was the exact location where Lori Lee Curse's body had been dumped in 1972.
0: As they walked, they stumbled upon a grim sight, the bones of a young girl half buried in the dirt. They had discovered the final victim of the Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Killer.
1: Police rushed to the scene and carefully excavated the bones. The remains must have been there for a very long time because investigators also found a hard contact lens that likely belonged to the victim. These hadn't been popular for at least five to seven years.
0: This placed the victim's murder squarely in the midst of the Santa Rosa hitchhiker slayings between 1972 and 74.
1: The connections became even clearer when strands of long, dark hair were discovered nearby. Moreover, the size of the bones showed that they likely belonged to a teenage girl or young woman, and the location of the body matched that of a prior victim.
0: Most disturbingly, the bones had rope tied around them. Police realized the poor girl had been bound just like Teresa Walsh. A noose around her neck connected to her legs... Which were tied behind her back
1: at this point only one name came to mind jeanette kamaheli she'd last been seen in 1972 getting into a car with a white man with an afro hairstyle her body had never been found
0: police immediately called a forensic dentist who compared Jeanette's teeth to the newly discovered skeleton unfortunately this comparison only proved one thing These bones did not belong to Jeanette.
1: The investigators tried to identify the body by cross-referencing dental records with unresolved missing persons files, but they were unable to find a match.
0: To this day, the skeleton, the hitchhiker killer's believed eighth victim, is known only as Jane
1: Doe. A discovery they thought would provide a break in the case only made the story darker and more depressing. Police were stuck in the same place they'd been for seven years. They had no real clues about the murderer's identity.
0: Sergeant Butch Karlstedt went back to the drawing board again. Out of the 300 possibilities, he narrowed in on a pair of suspects. And he thinks they work together.
1: One of these men was identified in very limited sources. His name was Frederick Manali and he was a 41-year-old creative writing professor at Santa Rosa Junior College. Manali died in a head-on collision with another car on August 24, 1976.
0: By connecting his death with the description in an article in the Press Democrat, we know that police allegedly found, quote, evidence that showed the man knew about the murders.
1: Yet in that same article... Police said that they were unable to find enough to prove his involvement in the crimes.
0: The nature of this evidence has never been disclosed and Manali's alleged accomplice has never been named. However, the article also quoted Sergeant Butch Karlstedt as saying, After those two guys died, there was nothing. No more female homicides. I'd bet money it was them, but it can never be proven.
1: Without concrete evidence, or even a name for the second man, it's impossible for us to say these two had anything to do with the hitchhiker murders. All we really have is the bet of the lead detective. The same detective who thought a series of murders spelled out the letter Z across the Northwestern United States.
0: Perhaps the only undeniable fact of this entire case is the utter tragedy that befell these young girls and women. 13-year-old Yvonne Weber and 12-year-old Maureen Sterling were taken from the ice rink. 19-year-old Kim Allen was killed on her way home from work.
1: 20-year-old Jeanette Kamaheli disappeared after a friend saw her getting into a truck with a man he didn't know. 13-year-old Lori Lee Kursa had her neck broken after jumping from a murderer's car.
0: 15-year-old Carolyn Davis was thrown off the road after running away from home 23-year-old Teresa Walsh was bludgeoned, bound, and tossed into the river while traveling home to share Christmas with her family.
1: And one last woman's bones were found discarded on the side of the road, a woman whose name will never be known.
0: The tragedy left an open wound on the psyche of the city, one that longed to be healed. And now, 50 years after the slayings, One would think these murders could never be solved.
1: But on February 17, 2022, the Press Democrat ran an article titled Sheriff's Officials Check for Link Between Recent Cold Case and Infamous Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Murders.
0: According to the piece, a recent development in technology had solved a 26-year-old case. In 1996, Michelle Marie Veal had been raped and murdered in Union City, only 80 miles away from Santa Rosa.
1: DNA evidence found on Veal's body was a positive match for a man named Jack Alexander Boken. He was a convicted rapist, child abuser, and now Veal's most likely killer.
0: This prompted investigators to look into Boken's past. Many of his rape cases were similar to the Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders. He chose victims with long brown hair, and often pick them up by the side of the road. His parents also owned a house in Santa Rosa during the years the murders took place, which meant he definitely could have been in the area.
1: Boken was imprisoned on multiple rape and child abuse charges in 1997. He spent the rest of his life behind bars, until he died of pneumonia on December 4, 2021, at 78 years old.
0: He can never be questioned about the Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders, but luckily his DNA is still in storage. Using refined technology, investigators intend to find out if he was the man responsible for the hitchhiker murders all along.
1: As of this recording, nothing else has been written about Bogan. It's unclear if the tests have been completed. Whatever the case, it seems we find ourselves in the same position we've been in for 50 years.
0: The Santa Rosa hitchhiker murders are unsolved, and eight young women and girls may never get the justice they deserve.
1: For the average person, life in Santa Rosa has long since returned to normal. The population has doubled since the 1970s, and its idyllic countryside and wide vineyards draw tourists and residents to the area year-round.
0: A passerby could hardly be blamed for forgetting the murders altogether, but the horrors remain in the memories of the city's elderly residents. Many stopped hitchhiking. They warn their kids of the dangers, and an upraised thumb has become a thing of the past, a memory of freedom soaked in blood.
1: As for the investigators who pursued the killer, the case haunts them to this day. In two separate interviews, Sergeant Butch Carlstedt said,
0: I think about them once in a while. Sometimes I felt like I was letting the girls down. Somewhere, there was a piece to this to put it together. But somehow, you just can't seem to find it. Thanks again for tuning in to Unsolved Murders. We'll be back next Tuesday with a new episode. For more information on the Santa Rosa Hitchhiker Murders, amongst the many sources we used, we found A&E's series The Killer Speaks and Unsolved Child Murders by Emily G. Thompson and SantarosaHitchhikermurders.com, run by Deborah Silva, extremely helpful to our research.
1: You can find all episodes of Unsolved Murders and all other Spotify originals from ParCast for free on Spotify.
0: We'll see you next time.
1: If we live till next time.
0: Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories is a Spotify original from ParCast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner. Production assistants by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Unsolved Murders is written by Giles Hofseth, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon and Karis Allen. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez and research by Mickey Taylor. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Drew Lawn, Brian Kim McCormick, Cameron Nicod, and Rebecca Thomas. Unsolved Murders stars Wendy McKenzie and Carter Roy. Hi, it's Carter, and I'm very excited to share a special announcement with you. On July 12th, ParCast is releasing its first book. It's titled Cults, Inside the World's Most Notorious Groups and Understanding the People Who Join Them. It's based on the popular Cults podcast that my friends Greg and Vanessa host, and starting right now, you can pre-order it at parcast.com cults. With the benefit of years of research and insights, this captivating book has put together a comprehensive narrative that tries to make sense of mysterious groups such as Nexium, Heaven's Gate, the Manson Family, and more. Exposing how shared beliefs can have deadly results and taking you deeper into the dark side of human nature than ever before. If you're a true crime fan, this book is a must-read. So, don't wait. There are limited copies available. Head to parcast.com slash cults now to pre-order cults, inside the world's most notorious groups and understanding the people who join them. That's parcast.com slash cults. And thanks again for supporting ParCast.